I don't think that I, I really gain a ton without the help of others, without community. I've learned that through a lot of different aspects of my life. The old mantra, it takes a village, but that metaphor can apply kind of across different aspects of one's life. There's either somebody who's come before you that has something to teach you, somebody in parallel that has an experience to share with you or some beta, and that kind of dialogue helps craft a ton. It helps craft vernacular. It helps craft well well thought out practices. And you know, I experienced that either through how do I parent or in ice climbing. You know, there's no there's no like indoor clinics and in how you go ice climbing. You know, you have to have a mentor or there's community, you know, and so the ice climbing community is very tight knit because we're often out of cell service. You know, we are stewards of each other, the land and each other's keeper. And uh, when I, when I really launched into paddleboarding, I wanted to make sure that that community was uh, available to people in Montana. And it wasn't, you know, a bunch of gatekeepers out here, you know, not sharing beta or not talking about dangerous flows, but instead people saying, Hey, there's a log jam at Old Bridge. What does that mean? You know, because while the kayak scene had that, the kayak scene has community, you know, the sub scene certainly didn't and 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 wouldn't. So we're trying, I'm trying to develop that. I'm trying to create open discourse with people who are looking for help in this place. What's up, everyone? Paul Clark here. What's up, Paul? <laughs> we're doing an episode with one of my favorite paddlers, Chad Dawkin, Chad the dad, I have my co-host, one of my favorite people in the world right here, Megan Christian. We're in Nashville. Chad's in Montana. We're wearing t-shirts and watching the sunset, wearing board shorts and flip-flops. What's the weather like there in Montana, Chad? It is uh, currently dumping. Uh, in Bozeman, at least, you know, it's been snowing the last three days consistently. So we're getting a little turn-up seasons here, um, but we're loving it. Wonderful. So you, as a little basic introduction, I'm going to have you do it. But for for my audience sake, I have the, the opportunity to paddle with you. The first time I paddled with you was this summer. We paddled on the Gallatin, sections of the Madison, the Lewis River. You're really inspiring a crew to explore rivers on a paddleboard there. But let's start with something that isn't the horizontal world. Let's start off with ice climbing. Tell us a little bit about your mountaineering background. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in Bozeman, Montana. Um, grew up in uh, a Norwegian uh, American family, and for anyone who's Scandinavian, you know, sometimes up in these island states, that's a, a big kind of aspect of of your identity. Um, so we always spent time outside uh, in the cold. Uh, my grandfather was a trapper and a miner in Montana. Um, and so he would often say, if I said I was cold, he would say, you're not cold, you're Norwegian. <laughs> and so, so that kind of, you know, when seasons change here, you know, some places maybe in Colorado, or if you're in a bigger metro area like Denver, there's a chance that you don't have to necessarily be a mountain person. You know, there's so many other things you can do. But in Bozeman, especially when I grew up, there wasn't really that like non-mountain cohort. You know, skiing is something you did. Um being in the mountains is something you did. And, um, you know, so when people ask how I got into ice climbing or how I got into climbing, the easiest answer is I just grew up in Bozeman, Montana. You know, it's uh, it's the mecca for ice climbing in the continental U.S. And so I got exposed to it right away by some really amazing alpinists. 
So ice climbing, can you explain to me a little bit? I'm I'm from Louisiana and from Mississippi. Yeah. That's so foreign to me. Can you give me a little bit of detail? Yeah. So um, it's not always a a waterfall that exists in the summer or the spring. Um, but just that's the easiest kind of way to take like imagine it. But just imagine one of those kind of trickling waterfalls that you see. Um, as it enters the winter stages, it goes nighttime temperatures are freezing. Well, some of that water is going to freeze. Then the water traveling on top of that ice is going to freeze. It's going to continuously augment and build more ice until you have basically a frozen ice fall. Um, and you know, the mechanisms of climbing that are, you know, in layman's terms, spikes on your feet and, uh, axes, um, you know, non-layman's terms, crampons and ice axes, but okay. It's a, it's a fun, it's a fun medium to travel. So how would you be climbing vertical ice? How, what's the temperature out there? Uh, temperature right now is 28 degrees. Oh, that's balmy. But in the mountains, in the mountains, probably 13. 13 degrees. And that's what yep. you need about 15 and under to have sustainable ice, right? Yeah, you know, um, it all depends. The, uh, ice will form differently, so it's it's obviously going to form slower if you're in the 20s uh, than if it was to like snap right away and go go really cold. I'm not a physics major uh, by any means, but I've climbed enough ice to know the physics of water and its adhesion when it freezes at a molecular level. So if it if it gets colder, slower, and it goes 30 for maybe five days, 28 for five more days, slower down you're going to have a lot more of a uniform ice freeze all of those it's not going to be multiple layers it's going to be kind of one big block whereas if it goes kind of 30 20 negative five you're going to find that that negative five it it's a really thin shell and you'll be bashing away you know trying to clear that because it's not adhered to that lower ice that you're trying to get into so it's just water in a different form um it was a hey love relationship. Uh, I mean, I always loved it. I'm getting back after it this year because I, I know it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a banger year for sure with how much water is in the mountains. But um, I took it really seriously, and and you know you can only die doing something so many times, and then add a couple kid add a couple kids onto it before you know you readjust your risk tolerance slightly. So now I still do it, but every day I go out, it's not the goal to do a new first ascent or pioneer new route like it used to be now it's all about like let's go have fun and uh, sometimes that could be let's do more pitches than i've ever done in my entire life let's get gassed out just like go endurance like nuts but you're climbing something simple rather than doing something crazy and you're in Sorry, your you're, you're in your home uh you're in your climbing cave your home built walls with yeah. handholds and ice anchors I've been in that cave, so I, I I know the extensiveness of it. Megan is just starting to rock climb, so she's uh, she's been working in the bouldering gym and things like that. So, what do you think about the ice world? So, I think like his your cave right there, I would be fine with the ice world. I think my southern body would would not know what to do with that level of cold. But uh, man, I don't know. Maybe give me a year. <laughs> Let me adjust yeah. a little. You no, know, I mean it's it's a real deal. I mean. You have to kind of love it. Um, if you're belaying a, a particularly slow partner, you find yourself doing the jumping jacks down there because sometimes belaying's the worst place. You're not moving nearly as much as your friend. 
Nicole. Tell us about Montana. So you're obviously um, a resident, a native Montanan. You've shown me a lot of your local places, some some ranch land that you were raised in, some forests that you explored as a youngster. You are just a man of the earth. You're wearing Carhartts right there. The the shirt you're having <laughs> are the phases of the moon. One thing that I'm really impressed by you is your your connection with the earth and gravity and flowing natures. So I don't need to sound too woohoo over here, but what I've really <laughs> been impressed by you is is your connection with with land and water. You know, I know that there's going to be uh, uh, some locals or natives that would, you know, kill me if I said I was a native. I am not. Um, my great grandfather homesteaded in Montana. So full transparency, uh, my great grandfather homesteaded here. He then hopped over the border in North Dakota and raised my grandfather. My grandfather moved back and was a minor. And then my mom, because she was a pilot for United, we got to call the three kids. Uh, we were born instead of our location where we were born, we named the airport. <laughs> so my older brother is the O'Hare son. Uh, I am Bagordia, New Newark. Um, <laughs> I was born in Connecticut. And uh, so is my younger brother. But you know, shortly after we were born, my, my family moved us back here. Um, so while I wasn't born here yet, yeah, you, you, you're right. Everything I remember and really was raised on was in Montana. Um, as you said, you know, we, we had some ranch land in Paradise Valley on the Yellowstone River. Um, and our main focus as, as a family in our relation to land was conservation. Uh, it's a big focus of my parents and a uh, big focus of my grandfather. You know, even though he was a trapper, uh, he intimately had a connection with, you know, the resources of the land. And, you know, that's how my father put himself through college was trapping. So, you know, they weren't going to go out there and, you know, try to, devastate the ecosystem it was just kind of a, a way of monetary it was it was an occupation at the time but they were they're really cognizant of their, their impact in 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 nature um i grew up reading uh the same county almanac um and i remember that distinctly impacting kind of my relationship with nature and there's specifically you know a part of that book where they're cutting through a tree and although Leopold, you know, is talking about with each ring that they cut through the tree, you know, it's not the part of the book, but it's the book. They go through the history of that land. You know, what was that ring? And then what was that ring? And so that's always kind of been something I think about is, you know, there's there's definitely something that was on this land far before us. And there will be something on this land far after us. And our, our impact that we leave means um, more than we obviously think. So I try to keep that in the forefront. They'll leave no trace kind of mentality in, in what we do here. I've really appreciated your perspective. This perspective that you're describing here, of course, the, the leave no trace that a lot of us can understand, but just the idea of the land conservation. In Montana, the big sky country, there's a lot of land and we might think that we don't have much of an impact on it, but we do. And we both have a, an impact physically and mentally. And I just really enjoyed sitting back and watching you interact with your family, interact with your friends. You served elk meat. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta serve elk to Super Paul when he comes out to Montana. I don't think I let him eat anything but elk. He sent me some video and I was so jealous. I've not eaten much elk, but it looked amazing. 
that was a good dinner. I think that we we were literally picking out vegetables from the garden 15 feet from us and That's loading awesome. it up with the meat that we harvested this season. So I love it. And the yeah, just just so good. Let's let's switch to the river. Yeah, let's switch to the river. Um, I, I really enjoyed your company on the water and your enthusiasm for it. But how how did you get into river paddleboarding? Yeah, so um, I had a good friend. You know, I but Bozeman not only is the mecca for ice climbing and as a center for that, but also you know. We have some fantastic whitewater kayakers that come from here. Um, predominant names, you know, probably most known would be the Garcia brothers um, and everything that they've done, you know, either from, you know, here all the way down to Chile and Argentina and, and really everywhere else. But um, I grew up at the same time as um, one of them in high school as one of them. So, you know, you take somebody who is a high school pro kayaker and you put him into your uh, high school ecosystem and you're going to get a number of other people that are searching that out when that wouldn't be the case if there wasn't anyone there. So, you know, you got the Garcia brothers ripping after it and then, with, you know, with them in tangential circles, you know, you had, you know, other satellite pods of hard kayakers. One of my good buddies, Stefan Morris was the one that got my older brother and I into the river. And uh, it started with him just getting us to roll in, in uh, our pond, you know, not far from our house and just working on kayak rolls, working on kayak rolls. And and I was no good at it. Um, my older brother was good at rolling. I was horrible at it. Um, a couple scary, you know, not really, you know, incidental or, or consequential situations. But I realized that I wanted a little bit more vantage as to what's coming down the river. And I also didn't necessarily want to be tethered to my boat or board or, you know, uh, at, at least as much um, as whitewater kayak is in its commitment. So I found um, whitewater paddleboarding maybe 10 years ago with uh, Badfish MCIT and uh, the MVPS. And um, those were, you know, once I found an MCIT and realized what you could do with uh, that thing 10 years ago. I was ripping around every river I could around here. And um, usually there was only one MCIT in the area that we could snag. So I'd grab another buddy and uh, they would rent a lake paddleboard. <laughs> and, um, you know, you could just imagine some of the some of the fun we could get into <laughs> that carried. <laughs> and this is a wild adventure. Let's see what we could do. And I think that's a that's a big part of the the Montana ethos of like, we've got this canvas. Let's paint on it. Let's learn from yep. it. Let's see how much we can do with our body in jeopardy, potentially. And if we survive, well, maybe we should do it again. <laughs> 100%. Where were you paddling with a lakeboard? That wasn't the Gallatin, was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the Gallatin, the Yankee Jam. Um, I don't, I never took anyone on a lakeboard down the, uh, the bear trap. So, um Actually, you know, by the time I was paddling the bear trap, my partner that I got into it with, one of my buddies, he had moved away. And so I was mostly, you know, the sole supper in a group of whitewater kayakers or uh, a whitewater rafting crew. Um, you know, we, it wasn't there as many places have had, you know, they've had a big, really big sup scene. And then sometimes that dies off as we've talked about in some places, Paul, and then has a resurgence and, you know, in Montana, the equivalent of that was like there were three of us paddling together, 
And then there were two of us <laughs> paddling apart. And now there's maybe like 10 of us actively, you know, ripping mm-hmm. after it. So we, we've tripled our numbers. And to give a shout out in social media, you're SUP Montana. Yep. So, of course, in Instagram, you're Chad the dad. And I want to talk about a little bit about your family. More than an outdoor enthusiast, you're, you're, you're a person who's giving life to new generations. And so we'll get to that here in a second. But, you know, just the idea of like giving life to your community of river paddleboarding as a SUP Montana. I don't think that I, I really gain a ton without the help of others, you know, and without, without community. And, you know, I've, I've learned that through a lot of different aspects in my life, whether that was having my kid, uh, when I was a freshman in college, you know, the old mantra, it takes a village. Um, but that metaphor can apply kind of across different aspects of one's life. You know, um, there's either somebody who's come before you that has something to teach you, somebody in parallel that has an experience to share with you or some beta. Uh, and that kind of dialogue helps craft a ton. It helps craft vernacular. It helps craft well, do- well thought out practices. And, you know, I experienced that either through, you know, how do I parent or in ice climbing, you know, there's no, there's no like indoor clinics and in how you go ice climbing. You know, you have to have a mentor or there's community, you know, and so the ice climbing community is very tight knit because we're often out of cell service. You know, we are stewards of each other, the land and each other's keeper. And uh, when I when I really launched into paddleboarding, I wanted to make sure that that community was uh, available to people in Montana, and it wasn't you know a bunch of gatekeepers, you know, out here, you know, not sharing beta or not talking about dangerous flows, but instead people saying, hey. There's a log jam at Old Bridge. You know, what does that mean? You know, because while the kayak scene had that, the kayak scene has community, you know, the sub scene certainly didn't and 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 wouldn't. So we're trying, I'm trying to develop that. I'm trying to create open discourse with people who are looking for help in this place. Are some of your crew now, um, did they, were they part of your kayak scene before? No. Oh. No, no, no. Um, none of the crew now are former kayakers. Everyone in the crew now has um, started kind of either from us, you know, saying, hey, you want to come out on a paddleboard on the river? And, you know, it didn't stick for everybody. Yeah. Um, You know, there are a number of people who got washed down the river and were like, hey, thanks for taking me. (laughs) Peace out. That was wild. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be like, this will be a story, you know. Um, And then also, you know, we were young. And regardless, you know, we're all all in college and, and... there was still that economic lift, sure. you know, a thousand dollar boards, a thousand dollar board. And, you know, um, we noticed very quickly the capacity and capabilities like ceiling of those different crafts, even the MCIT or stuff, you know, we kept on understanding, wow, you cannot take that board down this and stand through it. So, um, mm-hmm. a few, a few people did, they, they made the financial commitment. They, they caught the bug. And that was really what helped grow it because you see one person heading down a class three river um, and you might say, that's not for me, but you see like three, four, five, and all of a sudden- Someone must be doing it. They're doing it. So maybe I'll think about it. Yeah. As opposed to just the the one kook that's doing it like, ah. (laughs) Exactly. I'll take a cell phone footage of that guy to share with my (laughs) friends. Look at this weirdo. When When it's one person, people call search and rescue. (laughs) <laughs> and when it's like six people, people hop out with their phone and take photos. Yeah. So there's a totally different vibe. 
And this is what I'd like to do with the the podcast, among other things that I'm doing, is just show that there are places that you could do it. There are ways that you could do it safely. I appreciated the the Instagram post that you had uh, talking about leash safety. Mm, I saw so that. we're going to talk about that here as well. We're going to talk in in further episodes as I'm, as I'm promoting. We're promoting the the Step Paul podcast locations, personalities, the idea that it can be done. Can I share uh, a story of yours? Oh, the, I would love to. The bear trap, wildlife, oh, yeah. wildlife on the bear trap. So. He takes me on this. As, this as, lo- as long as you, as long as you tell it honestly. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, scouting a rapid, and it's tall grass, and we're in Montana. It, this is bear country for sure. And so I'm like, "Hey, bear! Hey, bear!" And he's like, "Yeah, Chad. I, I guess this is this is habitat for sure. But I'd be more worried about the snakes." Oh, oh, fair enough. So we scout that river and we uh, that rapid and we run it and we go to another one and uh, Chad wants to to hike back up and 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 do it again and well you tell us the incident what what wildlife experience <laughs> it's so funny um so you know this area this is uh this is actually a stretch of river I used to fish with my grandfather quite a bit um and he would always tell us about these monster rattlesnakes and <laughs> and you know I have over the years I forewarned so many people about rattlesnakes in this area now i haven't seen any in the bear trap i have seen uh bull snakes in the bear trap but i haven't seen rattlesnakes just lookalikes and then i've seen a ton of rattlesnakes just outside of the bear trap just outside the mouth so they're in there you know uh but i haven't seen them but i warn people and i'm walking back up this rapid and Paul's ready to shoot it, and and I'm like, you know, I'm just so stoked that that Super Paul is in Montana, honestly. And, and I'm like, I'm holding my board, and I'm goofing along this this trail, and it's in the woods, and there's grass on either side, so you know, it's a single track at best. And I round the corner, and I basically step on a gigantic rattlesnake. Oh, and it was it was it was not ready for me. I don't think I was, I wasn't ready for it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't warning. Uh, I basically almost stepped right on it in that moment that it realized what was going on. It coiled up and I could see it's rattler. I'm jumping back with my board and I don't know how, you know, there's his, you know, cause the dam, there's some history of beaver activity in the area or other things like it. There must've been some sharpened, you know, Aspen sapling or something from that. But I, I fall back. And my board pops on some sapling. It gets skewered on the side. But when it does that, the board lets out this violent hiss. Yeah. And it goes. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I got a rattlesnake in front of me. And I think I just threw my board on a family of rattlesnakes behind me because of the sound. And, uh, you know, yeah, I found the tallest boulder. I was on top of it so fast. <laughs> Uh, and then Paul uh, saw me walk back down the trail maybe five minutes after I realized. You're just giving me no that, like the, the, the cutthroat, like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm like, <laughs> no, you just ran it. What do you mean you're not doing it? Like dragging your deflated board behind you. Yeah. That was exactly. I, mean, I, I still was holding it in its middle handle. So it was just flopped over either <laughs> end of board. my shoulder. And then uh, Paul was kind enough to let me tandem out of the wilderness. <laughs> I wish I could <laughs> see. Well, we have we have a video, your buddy, and and I had a GoPro on the thing, so we'll we'll share potentially some of that video. It, it fortunately we were done with most of the rapids, but uh, we we did have an enjoyable so paddle out. Worse, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were out of the rapids for sure. Uh, we did we did 
make the, the joke the joke that if that happened just the, you know maybe a half mile up this would have been a different world and i think that's a really important element of being in wild places you're taking a lot of responsibility on for your safety your personal safety other people's safety your your gear has to be dialed your ability has to be dialed and so fortunately for us this was a bad experience the the, the board pop but you didn't get bit you didn't have a, a venomous incident you yourself didn't fall down the the boulders or the rocks we didn't have much in the form of technical white water, it started to rain right out right after yep. that. Like, well, okay, here we are. it could get real, real quick when you're yep. in the type of wild place that you're in the mountains with and on the rivers with. So, I enjoyed the experience. For me, it was it was a, it was a great time because we, I think we we you uh, one in particular dodged a huge bullet, and then we could laugh about that. Uh, hopefully, the board was taken care of. And yeah, I got to see how amazing the Potter and the crew at Hollis Warranty Repair Center are because Great. they turned that thing around so fast. I'm sure that they were a little confused about the other patches on my board, <laughs> but um, but I think that, that that also allowed them to understand like kind of the level that we're trying to set here in Montana. You know, we don't know how sharp some of these rocks are, but we have put our boards through the test. <laughs> I love it. What is your favorite river and why? Is it in Washington? Yeah, yeah, that's the... I think that I, I honestly think that um, my favorite local river has to be the Gallatin because that's where there is such a teeming culture of, you know, kayakers. It's our after work river. Mm. You know, the Mad Mile is where we go immediately when you take that last call or, you know, clock out. Um, it, it's a great stretch, even though it's considered one of the most dangerous highways, uh, I-91 in uh, America because it's really tight and it winds up to Big Sky. It's still like common that you can park, you know, drop your boat at the top, park at the bottom and, you know, thumb shuttle, hitchhike right back up. And there's plenty of room. You know, there's enough kayakers that even when there's no pullout, people are stopping to, uh, to grab you. So I love that. Um, that river is, is definitely home to us. But then, yeah, you know, that middle section of the white salmon mm-hmm. was, um, it was magnificent. You know, we made a bit of a pilgrimage out there. Uh, my good partner in crime, Bjorn, and I lined up, you know, we, we, we didn't have a reason to go out there. We didn't have any time off of work either. So we both individually found clients. We like closed deals in <laughs> Portland in two different industries, in two different jobs. So we could both book a trip on a Friday <laughs> to go meet those clients. So that if we, you know, I was I was literally throwing a suit off of me to uh, get into my clothes to drive over to White Salmon. We camped in BLM BLM land, uh, basically above the Wet uh, Planet uh, crew, and um, spent the next two days just immersing ourselves in that culture there. And um, what a what a amazing river, both the middle and the lower. I haven't done anything above that, but um, and we skipped Houston, but that's a good what idea. An amazing river. Yeah, Houston yeah, Falls has 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 taken some bodies. My buddy Kobe Bach it dislocated his knee there. Nadia Armadi almost had a drowning experience. Uh, Nikki Gregg had a, almost a, a drowning experience. There's a ledge underneath that falls. It looks really doable. It looks like a really doable falls. It's about ten feet. Yep. 
it's 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 a ramp it kind of goes but uh watching any houston falls carnage videos of rafters going in it if the little blue helmets (laughs) dump they're in there for a minimum of 10 seconds so it's 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 real it's real water i don't think there's been a clean paddleboard run off of it i've run it off once i was good with that amount so yeah Husum can be avoided i suppose it was a combination of Dan Kabir's videos and obviously your video that you did that literally, you know, made us stand up uh, and say, we're going. And um, yeah, I think it was three and a half feet was the gauge uh, for that weekend. And great level. Um, we, we great level. We saw a, it went up a little bit the second day. So maybe, you know, 3.75, but we saw, um, you know, Raft Crew have downtime of maybe 35 seconds over Hewsome. And so and it's literally as we were loading our boards up, um, we made sure to, to you know, check with the crew that everything, you know, because everything in the, the white salmon gets progressively you know, bigger. And that's what they're telling us. They're like, yeah, then you go upper, upper farmlands and you go upper that. So, you know, it gets bigger and bigger. And um, so I was just had to check real quick. I was like, so it doesn't get bigger than this above this. And they're like, no, 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 this is an anomaly in the middle section. <laughs> You you joke about uh, me being called Super Paul, but when you're when you're changing out of your business suit into your dry suit, does it feel like a Superman moment to you? Like, okay, here's my like here's my my street persona, here's my superhuman persona. I don't know. I, I feel like um, I feel like I'm I'm like the guy in dirtiest jobs. <laughs> like like even even though it's a suit. It may as well be like it sometimes feels like a porta potty suit. And I'm just excited to I'm excited to go get on the river and do what I really love. And ultimately, you know, my goal is to find out how to merge those things. You know, I do a lot of nonprofit work for mountaineering and the Montana mountaineering uh, community. And um, I've had some great conversations with uh, Davide. Um, Davide Sertoni. Trying to yeah, and trying to try to explore much like he has done. You know, really eloquently. Um, what does it look like if I was to diversify my income, you know, and look for growing this sport in a instructor kind of model in this area? And so, you know, my plan is to hopefully go get my first two ACAs this year and maybe, you know, start taking those steps. Um, but I got two kids as well. And so my, my income in this household is mm-hmm. pretty important. For sure. And going to your family, you identify in social media as, like we said, SUP Montana. That's the crew. And you also identify in social media as SUP, or sorry, as, as Chad the dad. Being a dad, being being a leader, being a parent is significant for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had my son when I was a freshman, sophomore in college. Um, so found out freshman year that I was having a son. And we had our son in, in uh, sophomore of college and with that came you know a whole lot of responsibilities but i i've always been you know manifest is not the right word but you know if if i want something i will ocd about it and i'll make it my mantra and and i'll make a mantra over it you know and make sure i'm saying that mantra in some way shape or form and you know i think that was part of that practice was when there were a thousand different things trying to pull me a thousand different ways when i was 20 you know i in social media, especially, I don't think is all of a positive force, you know, and in some ways I decided that I just wanted to be on social media, at least like outwardly, like I'm a father first in everything that I do. And, um, I think it was for the best, you know, that was who I, who I was my twenties may as well have been my thirties in raising Liam. Um, but it was, 
it, and still is the most rewarding thing I do. Is he interested in paddleboarding at all? Oh yeah, Liam. Liam loves paddleboarding. Nice. My my wife is she's small, and Liam is now you know growing pretty big. So their size is like near nearing equitable. Mm-hmm. So the Seven Eleven is a perfect tool for the quiver for our family because it's a nice surfboard for me. Also, kind of is a great combo board for both of them. Um, Liam loves paddling. He actually started on the nose of my Luya because it had the rails, and I would actually take him down. Paul knows the the town stretch of the Gardener, and you know there's some big waves. So you know in the town stretch there are overhead waves while you're standing in some seasons. And um, you know Liam just thought it was the coolest roller coaster <laughs> ride. We don't have a Six Flags in Montana. And nor do we have a zoo near us. So he called Yellowstone National Park the zoo. And the yellow the Yellowstone was the, the wave park. That is awesome. So going to yeah. experiences, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the, the rattlesnake on the Madison. Learning from mistakes, learning from incidents, accidents, etc. If, As they say, if, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Do you want to talk about any of your incidences as an ice climber or as a river paddleboarder? And I do would like to get to the the Lee story. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, yeah, I I think that one cool thing about learning ropes of alpinism is that, you know, one of the main precepts of it is redundancy and at least having redundant safety systems. So, you know, not relying on one mechanism um, because if that fails, you're, you're screwed. And furthermore, don't rely on two of the same mechanism because the reason that the first mechanism failed, it could be the same reason the second one fails. So looking for a kind of two different options that are acting in tandem, but differently to solve a situation. So, you know, when I was ice climbing, um, and uh, especially when I was ice climbing alone and I would set up rope soloing systems, you know, on ice falls, I'd usually hike above them, set up an anchor, rappel down and then you know uh, i would de- you know set up two devices on either ends of the tether one was a teeth device and the other one was a camming device the idea there was you know just like i said before you know they won't fail for the same reason and um i should survive <laughs> and um that works really well um i got into an accident ice climbing i got really focused on it and now ultimately was competing in ice climbing in quebec and um, I came back from competing. I hadn't really climbed with my brother all that much that year because my brother wasn't in a com- competitive ice climbing mood. Uh, you know, I don't blame him. <laughs> he didn't want to spend that entire winter um, on an ice ledge and was actually doing a lot more awesome backcountry skiing and, and hitting some great lines. But we went out climbing together. We decided to go set our sights on something really difficult that had some variation of a route that hadn't really seldom, if not seldomly been done. And um, as I was standing up, and at the top of the pitch, about to go into the second, I was establishing an anchor and the entire ledge of ice that I was standing on broke free. And um, the last screw that I had placed was about 30 feet below because that was the last good piece of ice. The rest of it was really kind of sketchy, chossy, dry tooling to the point that I found where I was building my Minimum anchor. Minimum of so, 60 feet. You, know, you don't have a piece of protection for 30 feet. That's 30 feet of rope out. You're going to fall 60. Yeah, minimum of 60 feet, you know, then plus rope stretch. And um, I ended up, that screw should not have held. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm not a physics major, but I, I know that my the factor of my force, you know, is, it was a stubby, one of the shorter ones. It just like reasonably shouldn't have held in my mind, but it did. And um, it caught me 
I came back into the cliff pretty violently and snapped my leg and broke my left leg and blew my syndesmosis around my ankle, among a few other things. Um, but it stopped me from decking and hitting the ground by about 12 feet. So, um, you know, I know I've been in a, I, I've been in a lot of accidents, oddly enough. I, you know, God bless my parents, but I've had about 200, 200 stitches, uh, not in surgery, just from different bumps, bruises, and, and chaos. And, um, you know, I know shock really well, and half of my buddies are in search and rescue. And I know kind of the time it takes for them to come set up, come get me. And, and I knew that I would be out of shock. Um, so, you know, I told my brother that what I would like to do then was start crawling. And so we, we crawled out of the wilderness. He got me in his car and we drove to the hospital, Um, but I was in shock. I was in shock the whole time. So I had no pain until we got on the, on the bed. Yeah. That shock sometimes can help get you out of a really bad situation, you know, help get you, make you. um, So I think that's so interesting, the risk versus reward, right? So doing something really dangerous like that, doing these extreme sports, having a family, being a father, the responsibility of it. And you're still ice climbing after that story. You know, it sounds like you maybe have some sub stories as well. You're still stopping, you know? So like, what is that balance? How do you balance out what I want to do? My passion. I want to get out here and do all this dangerous stuff. I have a family and I know I've had these instances in the past like how do you balance that yeah i think that you know it's it i'm not going to like talk ill of any different you know way that people climb or way that people rock on the river um (laughs) but i had to find mine you know that that was definitely fit within my risk or reward situation um and for you know all honesty that the river even though it's not yeah. I saw the river as a serious step down in terms of risk for me from being addicted to ice climbing as much as I was. And and that's because, you know, if you misstep while ice climbing, your likelihood of breaking something's really high because you're going to fall really far. Uh, if you misstep in, in the river, especially if it's a deep, you know, uh, river like the Yellowstone, as Paul knows, you know, it can be super deep. Like your chances of hitting rock are near zero and you're going to go for a swim. So, you know, I saw that as a serious kind of scale down, but still, I, you know, as Paul, Paul knows, I've encountered situations that I've been applying kind of this alpinism thinking around to help protect myself even more. And, you know, those have occurred around the leash or they've occurred around um, me kind of on-siting different sections of river without beta and without, you know, fully understanding what's going to occur. Um one of those was on the Shoshone River in Cody. I think that is one of the coolest rivers I've ever paddled on um, in terms of its proximity to town, uh, how you can have heavy white water at the same time, have a really nice calm town stretch. But I went there for the Wild West River Fest, and they have uh, a canyon section there that, that's class four, um, class four plus, you know, if you get yourself into a bad situation and... Um, it wasn't actually really any of those situations that something happened. It was after going through one of the class four rapids, you get into kind of a wide boulder garden and these boulders are all, you know, they're all Volkswagens basically in size and there's a lot of them. So there's many channels that you can kind of pop around. And <laughs> as I'm going down and I'm hearing beta yelled at me from, you know, the, from some of the kayakers, I'm the only supper in this whole crew. Um, 
they let me know nobody had gone down it and and i'm not like all oh, first descent for a lot of reasons uh i, I disagree <laughs> with those first descent claims but like i didn't do it in any style that i would ever want to claim anything but i i learned i learned the section and uh but it wasn't any one of those it was it was you know, I'm finding myself through these boulder channels i see this one boulder and as i'm looking kind of to the right of it it did look like it sieved out over there so at the last moment i try to quickly mm -hmm. go to the left the boulder was significantly undercut and just as my board just even bumps it uh and it didn't have as much splashback or or as much suck that i could like i wasn't like mm -hmm. obviously undercut to me but just as I bumped it, it immediately mm. sucked my board in almost like three fourths of the way. And then washed my body was washing out to the right of the boulder. Um, the leash got fully taut. I'm facing up river and it's pulling me under even uh, on my, in, in my sup and, and even in my uh, PFD, it's kind of like dragging me under and, you know, through a couple of treading and, you know, holding the leash, I'm, I'm able to get my head above the water, and I go down instinctively to pull my leash, but I pull it, you know, with the current out. almost directly yeah. alongside my body rather than you know out with mm. the, the pin, and I came up with just the bobber and uh, and the rope, and I go back down, and I'm like, and there's a lot of current, so it's like I I first have to try to find the pin, and I know it's not happening, so get a redundant system. I pulled my rescue PFD leash, quick release, and the redundant system is exactly two different things. They're different, but they're trying to do the same thing, get something off your body quickly, and they're working two different ways, so they're not going to fail at the same time. And I get off, but you know, I felt like the gomer that we all sometimes do if you're at, uh, like the only supper in a bunch of technical whitewater kayakers. It happened. Uh -oh. Because like that thing that they think, oh, what if that happened? It happened. And my response when they're like, why do you attach it to your body? You know, that didn't work yeah. as I had planned because I hadn't practiced with the system as much as I should have prior to that. So then, you know, I'm standing on the side of the bank and um, uh, a good friend of mine who's actually an instructor for the youth kayaking team in the area, Emmett, he is helping me unpry and unpin my board. You know, we got another kayaker up there. You know, kayakers are trying to, you know, a splash onto it to unpin wow. it, but it held up the social float for 20 minutes, you know, 15 minutes. Um, and it, it definitely shook me, but it allowed me to, you know, think tank what happened, why did it happen? And um, now, uh, you know, whether it's through conversations with Paul and others, you know, this community, going back to community and sharing that beta, I've you know, already been able to think tank, you know, three different ways because of, you know, the community, other people giving me beta that I know will help protect me. And, and if I share them with people that I know and love, it'll help protect them. You know, it reminds me kind of of your uh, Dan Gavir episode, <laughs> Paul, you know, like, I don't even want to talk about that guy's leash system, but, but the, like the, the bungee and like pseudo Velcro, depending on the class of whitewater, I totally understand it. Um, but we all have different things, and and that was a learning experience for me, certainly. And obviously, well, let me state the obvious. I'm glad you came out of it as well that you did, and I'm glad that <laughs> you were able to be humble enough with that group of kayakers to convince them still that river paddleboarding is a is a really decent way to get down most types of rivers. And congratulations for attempting that type of uh, quality of water. 
the leash controversy is, is a real thing. More, I'm happy to hear more and more people talking about it in the social medias yeah. and, and people who are actually not river paddleboarders talking about uh, at least system two. And I'm primarily talking about the river surfers. So my general idea of it is, is your leash is a great way to travel on a river if it's a quick release leash worn above the waist. But it doesn't end there. And I think your experience, your anecdotal experience really identifies the fact that you have to have a redundant system. You have to have a two-piece system. I wear, for the most part, a belt system with a big loop on the front that I don't have to pull anything. I know that one strap is very unique to my entire system. I could pull that and the entire thing's gone. And in the back, it's the, the shackle system, the, the same type of shackle system that you had on yours. Megan wears a rescue style vest that she has that same type of yeah. thing. There's a shackle on the back and there's also a the the quick pull on the front. The people who put a carabiner on their PFD, that's 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 a way to have a quick release system worn above the waist, but that's that can lead into trouble if you don't have practical experience with testing it out, especially freeing it with both hands under pressure yeah. when you're stressed or underwater. And I think a lot of people, I, I don't know if a lot of people, I didn't think about the fact of testing it out exactly like you said. So I'm a new, newer paddleboarder. And I know there was, you know, Paul has really taken me through what does that feel like? Try it from this angle, try it from this angle. What if this, how, you know, show me how this mm -hmm. happens. And I wouldn't have thought to do that on my own. Yeah. And of course you don't want to think about it when you really need it. You want to test that stuff before you need it. So I think it's an important conversation to have. And Dan, Dan Kavir, yeah. again, the godfather of river paddleboarding, he was he's of the the mindset that he wants to make his redundant system a breakaway. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to break. I, I like his thinking that breaking at the board and the body, like I think that's super smart. Um I I myself just know that I would probably mess it up and I would I would lose my board in the wilderness section or something. And in the United Kingdom, they're passing legislation for commercial outfitters if they're on a paddleboard, river paddleboarding in particular, yep. that there are no leashes, no leashes of any kind. And the the Czech river paddleboarders, they're anti-leash all the time too. So I think to, to avoid the controversy, yeah. just don't have a leash. That seems pretty easy in the legislation part of it, but the practicality of it. I was on the river with 12 Czech folks, and that just meant a lot of yep. recovering boards and getting swimmers on on the board. So, And they're they're adamant about it. No leashes, no time. Yeah, I mean, the section of the bear trap that uh, you and I paddled, though, even though it was flowing a lot less than this story, you know, it, it surged up to, I don't remember, maybe something like 6,000, you know, but when it was on its way up um, and it was the highest I had ever seen it, we decided that it would be a good idea to go down. And we have a friend who is anti-leash and he, it was funny. We were driving up. He had, uh, we were talking about it. He had his like, you know, three point rationale as to why he didn't do it. And, um, within the first name rapid, you know, he was floating very far from his board with kind of puppy dog eyes. And we had to go recover the board and, uh, he's, he's now a leash proponent, you know? And it's that situation if you're separated from your river craft, you're a boater. Yeah. Separated from your river craft, you're swimming. There's there's the risk of of hypothermia, flush drowning, hitting stuff, sieves, etc., etc., etc. So that means that you're traveling in in a safe way. The rule of thirds that kayakers have, 
you need someone to help with the swimmer. You need to have another person to help with the gear and you're all working together, eyes on, and you're moving in that mindset. So yeah, it's one of those things that your buddy's swimming in a big rapid. That means you as a team are now chasing him in a big rapid. And that that's a different skill set. That's a different mentality. And that's a different type of cooperation that river kayakers understand. Yep. I was a kayaker for years. And one thing I love about paddle boarding is if I fall off my paddle board, I just scramble back yep. on. I, if I have to swim as a kayaker, like you just said, my buddies are getting my board and I'm over here and it's like a group thing. And I like to just be able to just get back on. So there's, that's part of what I love about paddleboarding is not needing it's great if everyone's around i appreciate that but um that's why i, I do like my leash that's like the, <laughs> that seems to be the one major takeaway that anyone any you know big whitewater kayaker that comes with us yeah you know, that they have is you know there have been many times that we have been waiting for them you know uh depending on their skill level you know maybe they took out you know a new friend or something if somebody swims you know it's like hey we got to stop this show for a bit and uh whereas like if we swim you know hopefully it's with it's with laughs but it's like get right back up you know it's like it's a non it's a non-issue it's exhausting too so as a kayaker helping to rescue other board or other boats and having other people help me with mine that whole process is really exhausting and i really appreciate not having to worry about that too much with paddle boarding leashes are a controversy there's also the the controversy of what type of water should paddleboarders be in? And many river paddleboarders, including myself, don't have a whitewater background experience. Megan did have a whitewater background experience as a as a whitewater hardshell boater, kayaker. But a lot of river paddleboarding and people who have been on the podcast before who have uh, you know announced. So I'm not you know outing anybody, yep. but David De Sartoni, Claire uh, Doherty. The number of people, number of people don't have any river experience before they're getting on a, to a paddleboard. And so with that, they often don't have that idea that the river is a community. You're traveling with others, et cetera. I'm a big proponent. I have been a big proponent of solo paddling. And a lot of kayakers in particular shunned me. And when I was getting a reputation as a river paddler, like, look at that guy. He's, he's doing it all wrong. He's doing it solo primarily. So just that controversy. And I think when you're running more and more technical whitewater, it's not just the skill in reading the water and, and being able to write yourself in an incident. It's being aware of where your, your buddies are, your paddling partners are, the river community, and what type of experience do you need to assist? Are you going to be paddling backwards? Are you going to be paddling, towing a boat? Are you grabbing swimmers? Are you throwing ropes? So the more and more a person spends on the river, the more and more... They become a part of this greater community and a full circle of what you're doing is, is, is building a community and in and a, and a, and, and a, another generation of enthusiasts in the outdoors. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I, I still love solo paddling. Um, some of my favorite days are bike shuttling myself up from Yankee Gym to Gardner. Uh, but the community is definitely been something I'm focused on for the longevity of this in this area. You know, we're blessed with deep, fast and you know really tall rapid and wave trains you know here on the yellowstone and different areas and what a great place to learn you know if you can guarantee that you could pencil off the end of your board and you know you're not going to hit anything in a river that has really only one name toll you know um because it just it just pushes through the canyon features so fast that it doesn't really get hung up you know naturally or geologically that's a great place to learn how to paddle um 
on the flip side of that, there are levels on the Gallatin, um, or when I try to, you know, run kitchen sink, uh, or, you know, there's a couple other rivers that we have planned. Um, then I know I'd feel more comfortable having a kayak, uh, crew with, you know, because I've spent so much time paddling with really good kayakers. I've also got myself into like, you know, 3,300 running the mad mile in the Gallatin. Uh, I'm so glad Stefan Morris was there to grab my paddle as I be flushed, <laughs> as I be flushed through the features, you know, and, um, you know, I'm on the other side of the river right before the next class, you know, before the class four rapid. And he's yelling at me with a throw bag and he launches that thing over and is able to steer me across the river. You know, like there's some, re- I, it's yeah, I, I was really appreciative that I was with a uh, pretty badass kayaker on that day. And so, you know, there are some, there are some rivers that we want to hit that haven't, um, been supped for maybe good reason. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be, you know, hell to pay if you swam it, if you had a really competent crew, you know, it's not like a bunch of wood debris or something like that, you know? So we're planning our sites for runoff. Um, and we've talked to a couple of our good friends who are kayakers and they said, Hey, we just love watching you guys attempt this stuff. And we're willing to be there with a throw bag. If that's, if that's what it means. I have two more questions. Uh, basically what are your tips for setting people up for success and what's the future of river paddleboarding? Okay. I think the biggest thing to set yourself up for success is humility in this sport. You know, it's like, it's like prepare to have fun sucking at something new. And (laughs) that's just how it's going to be, especially if you're going, you know, anything above class two, it is such a fun way. And Paul, you say, great. You say it's individual or the coolest medium for individual expression. And you see that, like whether it's flat water, class one, class two, or you're trying to throw yourself down a waterfall, it's just so cool. But you got to prepare to have the right mindset and you got to be prepared to have fun and laugh at yourself a bit. Because if you're focused on people on the shore, if you're focused on the shore and your, and your ego, you're going to have a hard time. And that's, that's, that's the philosophy of life right there. Like I do say that the river paddleboarding is a, is a platform for self-expression and, you know, do what works for you in as much of a safe environment as possible. And sometimes that's to entertain a crowd or sometimes that's to get down a river safely or, or walk a rapid or whatever it is. Just do it for yourself, I think, for the, the most part. I find yeah. It. And it helps me a lot. Yeah. Most of my early river paddleboarding was all by myself. So I only had myself to cheerlead or to, to jeer. So <laughs> paddling with Megan and her friends, it's great to, to, to see the cheerleading that takes place yeah. and the encouragement and the enthusiasm. We've been working on a couple of uh, nemesis rapids nice <laughs> out here those. so what it, what it takes how many laps does it take to figure it out trying on your knee a little bit uh taller a little bit to the left a little bit to the right whatever it is to to, to figure that out and having a group of people to to cheer that and support it and to encourage it and say whatever it is that encourages more success is is, is a great thing i love that and then the second question the future is up yeah I think it's happening. You know, I, I really think it, it is. It, obviously, it's happening. It's a really stupid answer, but uh, but I, I do <laughs> I, I do think it. I, you know, I the future is now. <laughs> yeah, the future is now. But but I feel like we're in in a um, 
and and a little bit of shift in the weight. You know, you know, at least I do in my area. You know, it was most certainly seen as kind of a gomery sport historically on the Gallatin. There was a guy named Brownie, and Brownie is an amazing whitewater kayaker. Paul, I got to introduce you to Brownie. I think Brownie was the first guy to go down the Mad Mile on a sup. Through what you're seeing at Whitewater Festivals, um, the the sup slalom scene, for example, you know, I got to participate in um, slalom competition in Wyoming this year, and it was, you know, I had so much fun. You see what they're doing in Eastern Europe. They've been doing sub slalom for a while, and they're all amazing and fast at it. And now, you know, I'm going to these Whitewater Fests where, you know, they're first, they're, this is the first time they're thinking about having to raise the gates you know, a little bit for suppers and they're all, they've all been set for kayakers. So I think that, you know, we're going to see a big kind of surge in the festival scene as a venue for us to go out and compete and have fun together. Um, But I, you know, Paul, I think that you guys are doing it. I mean, you're, you're really helping build the, the overall culture of this community. And, you know, like Megan was saying in the beginning, her friends were so excited that Subfall was coming out. I mean, we were so excited that you were coming out because, you know, you really opened our eyes to different rivers, different places through you sharing and telling people's story alongside your own. So, you know, I think it's happening. I think that there's more press and focus on SUP than ever. You see, you know, Sam Garthwaite was just in SUP magazine next to, you know, Noriad. So I just think that it's getting growing attention. Um, of course, there's going to be a flex both ways. You know, is everyone going to think that supping is dropping Scottish waterfalls for, you know, a bit? Maybe, right. you know, um, but, you know, then there's, are, are still people still going to think SUP is the most inefficient and absurd way to go down anything for sure. <laughs> so it's like yeah. kind of finding that middle and, and we're all doing it justice by this community, by, by like creating shared vernacular, you know, like Paul, you talking about cross bowing to me, like, okay, these terms, like that's what creates culture, community, whether it's like holidays, language food like and we're starting to build that culture and i can feel it um in just the storytelling that's happening i look forward to following your adventures on the, on the vertical ice the the mixed routes and if you can include any river time uh this winter i'm excited yeah we have a plan to do a three sport day in the spring um to skin up to an ice climb climb it ski out and ski right to the shore of the river to hop on our subs so take your crampons off i will i yeah i definitely will <laughs> <laughs> all right chad thank you so much uh the, i think if anything that the audience comes out with this they they're, they're hearing a positive encouraging voice so thank you so much for for giving your voice to this audience have a great night i won't keep you guys thank you so much for your time awesome brother happy friday megan you too you, have a good day all right bye, bye.